We hope you'll be blessed and inspired and challenged and motivated by this fresh word from Christian Heritage Church. Take your Bibles this morning, turn with me to Matthew chapter 2. We're continuing the series, The Promise Keeper. Today we're going to talk about the Magi and what they saw and experienced and how that relates to you and me. Last week we talked about the shepherds. So if you weren't here, you can go to chctoday.com and watch that message there. Or you can order a DVD or a CD, or you can go to uh, the podcast and listen to those there as well. So we're just glad you're here this morning. Join us Wednesday night at 7 as I continue the series here in the sanctuary, Jesus Revealed through the Old Testament Scriptures. All other ministries will be meeting as well, so plan to be a part of the service on Wednesday night. Matthew chapter 2, we'll get there in just a few moments. You know, when we hear the things on the radio, the television, the Christmas programs begin playing, we recognize that many think that this really is the happiest time of the year, the most wonderful time of the year. Many think that uh, this time of the year should be a winter wonderland. It should be a time of great joy and happiness and family and chestnuts roasting on an open fire and all that good stuff, you know. But to be honest, There's a lot of folks that don't experience that at this season. To be honest, there's a lot of folks that are just trying to get by. Sometimes personal problems surround us and we just can't get on top of them. And it makes the season rather depressing or confusing rather than helpful and beneficial. For others, we feel like we move just from one crisis to another and never seem to find that place where things settle down and slow down, and we can have that holly jolly Christmas experience. Sometimes the answer to finding that experience of joy at Christmas time is to simply tone down the tyranny, simply relax and slow down and let Jesus be revealed to you. You know, there's a range of emotions that people feel during this season of the year. Some are great excitement and others are filled with unbelievable dread. Some feel great hope because the Savior has come. Others feel completely hopeless because they've never met Him and don't understand Him. Some are extremely optimistic. Others are very pessimistic. Reminds me of the dad who had two boys, and they were just that way. One was extremely optimistic. The other was very pessimistic. It didn't matter what he did for the pessimistic son. He was never pleased, never saw the bright side, was always looking at the bad that could occur. And the same with the other son. It didn't matter what happened or what he did. That pessimist, that optimist was so happy, so excited, so just filled with life. So one Christmas, he decided he was going to push this to the limits. And for his pessimistic son, he filled the tree with all types of electronic gadgets and presents that this boy loved. And when he began to open them, all he could say was, well, that needs batteries, they're going to run down, well, that remote's going to break, or I'll probably lose that. It won't be long until this is no good or no value. Just a pessimist. For his optimistic son, there was just one box under the tree. And when he opened it up, it was filled with horse manure. And the boy got so excited, and he said, and the dad said, why are you so excited? He said, I know there's a pony somewhere. See, we've got to be thinking, where am I at? How do I see the season? What's the positive things that could happen? When I look at the New Testament church, they didn't say, look what the world has come to. But rather they said, look what has come to the world. And that should be our attitude today. Look what God has done for me and you. Look what has come to the world. You understand the New Testament church lived in very perilous times. 
They lived under Roman rule. They were oppressed. They were persecuted. The Jews hated them. The Romans hated them. Most of the Greeks hated them. Yet they chose not to see the ruin. They chose to see the redemption. They chose to see the reconstruction, the reconstructed power of God through the Son, Jesus Christ. They believed that it's on that pivot, Jesus coming, that all history began to swing. That suddenly, where there was no hope, there was great hope. They didn't just see the sin that abounded, but rather they saw the grace that did much more abound. They recognized it's where eyes are at. It's what we're seeing, what we're seeking that makes a difference. Can I tell you, disillusionment is not an unusual thing at this time of the year. Some folks get so hyped up with expectations, and then when they're not fulfilled, they are completely and totally disillusioned. The gift wasn't what you wanted. The family didn't do what you thought. Things just didn't measure up. But can I tell you this morning, if you'll return your focus to Jesus Christ, God's Son, the greatest gift ever given to mankind, you will find that disillusionment flees, and suddenly where hopeless abounded, hope begins to live and dwell. Because Jesus is the greatest gift. So three things I want to share with you very quickly this morning from Matthew chapter 2. And the first thing I want to ask you is, what are you seeking this Advent season? Matthew chapter 2, let's read it, verses 1 and 2. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, wise men came from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who was born king of the Jews? For we have seen a star in the east and have come to worship him. If there's one thing you need to underline in your Bible, it's that last statement. We have come to worship Him. We have come to worship Him. Can I tell you, your level of satisfaction, your level of happiness, your level of joy, your level of contentment during the Advent season is directly related to what you're focusing on, what you're seeing, and what you're seeking. When we choose to seek Jesus for the purpose of worshiping Him, something happens inside of us that we can't even begin to understand. See, from the inside out, we begin to change. We begin to find excitement and joy. Oh, listen to me, friend. It's not about Christmas trees and presents and lights and all the holiday cheer. It's about the Son of the living God choosing to love you and me enough that He came in the form of man. That he gave himself to be offered as a sacrifice for your sin and for mine. It's not about having that perfect white Christmas. That's not really a reality in Florida, is it? Just not going to happen down here. Maybe if you lived a few miles north, it would have, but it's not Christmas yet, right? Somebody needs to tell the weatherman he was a little early for Georgia. Amen. Yvonne and I haven't always lived in Florida. We've experienced many white Christmases. But can I tell you, that doesn't make it good. Having your family all there doesn't make it wonderful. Having the perfect gift given to you doesn't make you feel complete. The only way we understand satisfaction and completement this time of the year is by understanding the gift that God gave us. And by as the wise men did, seeking the King of the Jews that we may worship Him. Have you ever had the kind of experience where everything seemed perfect, but yet you were left absolutely empty? A huge void in your life. It just didn't make sense. Disappointment ruled and reigned. Can I tell you, the problem is not with the gift or the celebration or the family. The problem is what are we seeking? 
And anytime we seek anything other than the Son of God, we're looking in the wrong direction. We're looking for the wrong thing. What did Isaiah say in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6? Let me read it to you. He said these words, a prophecy, hundreds of years before Jesus was born. He said, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The government will be upon his shoulder. His name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. I want you to read that one more time, and I want you to think to yourself, you know, when I read who Jesus is and what he came to do, all the titles ascribed to him in Isaiah, it tells me that no matter where I'm at or what I'm dealing with, he's the answer. And my goal, my objective, and my affection and attention must be Jesus Christ. It must be him. Often we're looking in the wrong direction, and as a result, we're disillusioned, we're dissatisfied. It's time to turn our eyes back to what the Magi sought. And they sought the one who was born king of the Jews, that they may worship him. They show us how to be satisfied, how to be content, how to be fulfilled during this season. It's by turning to Jesus Christ. Look at verse 2 one more time. And it says, we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. We really don't know where the Magi were from. They could have been from Persia. They could have been from India. They could have been from China, other parts of Asia. The Silk Road was well-traveled at that time. The route was well-established from the Far East to the Mideast where Jerusalem was at. The traders traveled it all the time. So we don't really know where they were from, but we know why they came. They came because they heard a promise. And the promise says, there is one who was born king of the Jews, and we have come to worship him. Can I ask you this morning, is that why you're here? Or did you come for the ugly sweater contest? I really don't know. But I'm here to assure you that Jesus Christ came so that you could come this morning, find him, and worship him. Be encouraged and attached to him today. So that's what we have to be looking for. That's what we have to be seeking this Christmas season. Do you know there are so many things that take your eyes off that quest? So many things that may be good, but they're not best. The best thing to seek during this Advent season is the gift God gave us, His Son, Jesus Christ. And as we do that, He fills our heart with great joy. And as He does that, then we desire to worship Him. You remember the story in John chapter 4? We talked about it briefly last week. I just touched upon it. Jesus needed to go through Samaria because he had an appointment with the woman who was an outcast. You know the story of the woman at the well. Jesus told her, you've had five husbands. The guy you're living with now is not your husband. But he began to speak life into her. Listen to me. Jesus meets us where we're at and takes us where he wants us to go. He meets us where we are and helps us to walk into the destiny that he has prepared for us by the power of the Spirit of God. So as they were having this discourse, she said to him, you worship in Jerusalem, we worship here on this mountain. But listen to these words from John chapter 4, verses 22 through 24. Jesus said, you worship, you know not what, know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. Verse 24, but the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is a spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. What was he saying? He's saying it's a new day. 
It's a new day. Folks, I've come to tell you this morning, it's a new day. It's not just the Christmas season as normal, but we are here to worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We are here to declare He's worthy of our worship, worthy of our awe, worthy of our magnification. He is King of the Jews. He said to the Samaritan woman, you don't even know what you worship. Let me tell you what we worship. He said, the hour is coming, now is. That they who worship the Father must worship Him in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. Isn't it interesting that years prior to Jesus making this statement, the wise man came seeking Him. And they came seeking Him for the purpose of worshiping Him. Acknowledging Him as the King of the Jews, the King of kings, and the Lord of lords. So we have to ask ourselves this morning, What are we seeking? Secondly, we have to ask ourselves today, what are we looking for? Where are we looking? Look at Matthew chapter 2 one more time. Look at verse 1 again. It says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, wise men came to the east to Jerusalem. And then if we jump on down a little bit, I want you to notice that they went where they thought a king should be born. They went to the palace in Jerusalem. They thought that's where kings would be, right? I mean, it makes sense, but it was a wrong call. They had bad information that led them to a wrong destination. Sometimes when we're in a quest, in a pursuit, when we are seeking, we get bad information that leads us to a wrong destination. Can I tell you, just as in the day of Jesus Christ when he was born, Herod called in the chief priests and the scribes, and he said, where is the king of Jews, the Messiah, the Christ, Where is this guy going to be born? And they quoted from Micah chapter 5, verse 2, and you can read the scripture in verse 6. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. You see, they understood that the Messiah would be born not in Jerusalem, not in a palace, but in Bethlehem, in a stable. Laid in a manger, a very humble beginning. Yet the wise men didn't allow that to distract them. When they learned truth, they followed truth. Someone needs to hear that this morning. When you learn truth, you need to follow truth in your everyday life. When God opens something to you, when He discloses His will, when He brings a revelation to your spirit, it's your responsibility not to mull it over, but to follow what God has revealed to you. You see, that's the way God leads us every day. God, I, I thank God that we're not in the same place we were when we first found Him. But as we walk with Him every single day, He reveals truth. He reveals knowledge. He reveals wisdom. He reveals guidance and direction. He reveals destiny into our lives. And as He does that, we then have a responsibility to follow Him. Have Him lead us to where He wants us to go. The wise men came to Jerusalem because that's where they thought the king would be, in Herod's palace. They had no idea that the king of the Jews would be born in a lowly town, in a lowly stable, in a lowly manger. They had no idea what God's plan really was. But they did understand if we're going to find him, we've got to follow him. We've got to follow him. You see, your level of satisfaction, your level of joy, your level of contentment in this season is directly related to where you're looking. What are you looking at? When I was in Bible school, I had a professor, let me just back that up a little bit. 
we were required, even though my degree was in biblical literature, we were required to take a track of music. And it was the most useless thing I ever did in my entire life. Those of you who are here for any time at all, you know I don't sing, you know I don't play an instrument. I'm not your typical pastor. I don't do any of that stuff, all right? I've got people like Tom and Jesse and Jody that step up and help me out, and they do a great job, amen? I don't have to do that, and I don't want to do that. But in the first class, my professor's name was David Weston. David at that time was probably mid-60s. This has been a few years back. So I'm sure somewhere in America, David Weston is 92 years old. He's sitting on the piano bench and he's still playing. That's just the way he is. He's a great guy. I love him to death. But in that first class, I met with him not long after the session started. And I was sharing my frustration with him. I said, you know, Brother Weston, I paid $92 an hour for this class. And it's a two-hour class. And really, I don't think I'm going to get anything out of this class that will ever benefit me in ministry. You know what he said? He said, Steve, you need to realize that music tells the story of the Scripture. And I said, I find that a little bit hard to believe. So he took me to the piano and he sat me down and he said, I just want you to play a scale. Just want you to play a scale. I'm not sure I'm there. All right. So I just played the scale for him like this. And he said, well, you don't quite have it. Let's try it again. Only go the other way. So we went the other way. He said, that's close, but you still don't quite have it. Play it one more time. And then he said, well, you're almost there, but to really hear the story in the music, you need to put some pauses between the notes. Listen, folks, here's the point. If you're going to see who you're seeking and find Jesus, you have to hit the pause button every now and then. You have to give him time to come into your heart and into your life. You've got to stop the business, tone down the tyranny, and give God a chance to talk to you. So he said, I want you to put a pause after the first, third, fifth, sixth, seventh notes and play it that way. So it sounded something like this. You all know that song, right? And in eight notes, one scale... He showed me that really, that is the story of the gospel. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. That's reason to rejoice. Now, did I feel any better about that music class? Absolutely not. But I learned a lesson. You know what I've learned in the years since? That wasn't original with Dave Weston. You'll find that all over the internet because it's there. But it was a story he used to illustrate to me something that I missed because I wasn't seeking it. You see, I went into that class all bummed because I had to sit through two hours a week of somebody telling me how to sing and how to play the piano, how to direct a choir like I'm ever going to do that. A total waste of my time. But yet, in that place where I wasn't seeking the right thing, he showed me something I would never have learned any other way. So we need to understand it's very important. What are we looking at? What are we looking for? You see, we can look in all the wrong places and not find the satisfaction, the contentment, the hope, the joy that's been offered to us by Jesus Christ. Maybe you're saying today, well, I'm bummed because my family can't be with me at Christmas. I'm bummed because I'm not going to be able to give the gifts I desire to give to my kids this Christmas. I'm kind of discouraged and depressed because I'm all alone and there's really no one to care for me or to care about me. Can I tell you, you're looking in the wrong place. You need to look for the Savior. 
Look for the babe born in the manger that became the Christ, the Son of the living God, that gave himself on Calvary, and on the third day he rose again from the dead. And today, he sits at the right hand of the Father, making intercession, praying for you and me. That's what we need to seek, because when we seek him, we find great satisfaction, great contentment, great joy, even if we're all alone on Christmas Day. Years ago, I left my family on Christmas Eve and I flew around the world to a little Muslim country. And when I landed there on Christmas Day, there was no signs of Christmas whatsoever. No evidence that Jesus was the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. No evidence that Christ had ever been born and lived and died and rose again from the dead. As we drove down the streets of this major city in a Muslim country, it became very obvious that darkness was everywhere. Hopelessness was prevalent. Oh, can I tell you, friend, the only cure for darkness is light, and the light is the Son of God. Can I tell you, the only cure for hopelessness is the one who brings hope, whose name is Jesus Christ. But it didn't discourage individuals from turning out to that facility that was a walled compound where we could meet and we could talk about Jesus in that country that did not believe in it. Oh, it was wonderful to see people saved and healed and delivered on Christmas Day when they recognize, even though they live in a country that oppresses that particular part of their faith, Jesus is still King of Kings and Lord of Lords. We have to understand it's all about what we're looking for at this season. And if we're looking for things that don't fulfill, we're going to be disillusioned. But if we're looking for the one who always fulfills, always satisfies, always completes us, we will live with joy. We'll live with happiness. We'll be exuberant in our praise and in our worship. We might even dance during the offertory if we understand we're here to seek Jesus. The Magi looked in the right place. And when they looked to God, When they looked for the answer in the right place, they recognized their trip to Jerusalem was not wasted. Can you imagine being those guys, and we don't know how many there are. For some reason, tradition has told us there's three wise men. Well, the Bible doesn't tell us about it. There may have been 18. We don't know. They gave three gifts. We know that. So from that, we say, well, there's three wise men. Who knows? There may have been six of them. We don't know the number. All we know is they followed their normal logic to where they thought they should go. And when logic failed them, when human reason failed them, then they turned to the Scripture. And the chief priest and the scribe said, the Christ child, the Messiah, will be born in Bethlehem. They quoted the prophecy from Micah chapter 2. And when the wise men heard that, suddenly they were revived in their spirit, hope was in their heart, and they said, we haven't wasted this trip, we didn't miss it. Oh, somebody hear me this morning, you've been this close and you've given up because you got some wrong information, wrong destinations, but God is saying to you this morning, come on, hear me one more time, trust me one more time, see what I will do when you choose to follow me all the way to the destination. Don't give up too soon. That new information, they followed the star on to Bethlehem. And there they found the Christ child. And then look at number three. First, we have to see and see what we're looking for. Then we have to see where we're looking. And number three, we have to see what are we giving. Chapter 2, verse 11 of Matthew says, When they came into the house, Tom, will you come back? 
They saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they opened the treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now listen to me. Our level of satisfaction is directly related to how we give to our Savior. I'm not talking about taking an offering. I'm talking about giving your life. I'm not talking about giving dollars. I'm talking about giving your passion to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Oh, listen, everyone who calls his name should find a place where they can give their passion, give their gifts into the kingdom of God for the purpose of growing and expanding the kingdom of God. And I can't tell you what that is. That's between you and God. But when God reveals it to you, I'll help you plug in. I'll help you find the place that that works for you and for the kingdom and see that God is magnified and glorified in your life because your level of satisfaction, your level of joy, your level of contentment is directly tied to what you're giving to Him. Tied to your level of service, to your level of commitment to the King. When the wise men finally found Jesus, they brought Him three gifts. They brought Him gold. Gold acknowledged that He is the King of the Jews. Will you acknowledge with me this morning, He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Today my knee bows. Today my tongue confesses. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. There is none like Him, none beside Him, none that compares to Him. He and He alone is the mighty God. He is the risen King. He is the conquering Savior. He is the Lion of the tribe of Judah. He is the Prince of Peace, Everlasting Father. He is my wonderful God, my mighty Savior. Oh, somebody, would you acknowledge Him as King? Acknowledge Him as King. You see, that's what the wise men did when they brought the gold. It was acknowledging His kingship. Acknowledging his position, acknowledging his authority over all mankind. Second, they brought frankincense. Frankincense was an incense, very costly. They used it in the temple as they were offering their prayers. Frankincense represented the fact that Jesus Christ really is the high priest. He is the high priest. We're talking about this on Wednesday nights. You should read the book of Hebrews and see how Jesus is clearly described as the high priest for all of eternity. The high priest who passed through the heavens. The high priest who stands at the right hand of God, making intercession for you and I. The high priest who doesn't have to first cover his sins before he can pray for our sins. The high priest who is perfect and blameless and sinless and died for you and me. The high priest who would bring you and I to God, who would become that door of access that way into the kingdom. Jesus is that high priest. And number three, they brought myrrh. Do you realize that that was a rich anointing oil that was predominantly used to anoint for burial? So whether they really understood the implications of that gift or not, I really don't know because the scripture doesn't tell me. But today, looking back, We understand the implication of that gift. That gift recognized him as the perfect sacrifice. That gift said he will die for the sins of all. That gift said that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That gift screamed, I've come to die for you. You see, the myrrh would be used and is used to anoint bodies for burial. And without his death, we have no Savior. Without his blood being shed, we have no 
propitiation for our sins. And without His resurrection, we have no hope for tomorrow. I am so glad when I look at those three gifts that they acknowledge the ministry of Jesus Christ, that He is King of kings and Lord of lords. They acknowledge that He really is our high priest for all of eternity. And they acknowledge that He would be killed, crucified, buried in a borrowed tomb that one day later, three days later, He could rise again from the dead and be our victorious King, our champion, our sacrifice, our doorway into the presence of God. So my question to you this morning is, what are you giving for Christmas this year? What are you giving? What are you giving? Maybe you need to give forgiveness to someone who's offended you. Maybe you need to give love to someone who's unlovable. Maybe you need to give service so that your gift can be shown before the King. Or maybe you need to give your heart to Jesus. And let Him become your Lord and your Master, your Savior, your Deliverer, your soon-coming King. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed across this room this morning. For you see, here's the truth. When you look for the right thing in the right place, you will always give the right gift. It could be that you're here this morning and you're wondering, what can I offer the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? What could I possibly give to Jesus of Nazareth. What do I have? What do I possess that would be of any interest to Him whatsoever? Well, the greatest thing we can give to Him is ourselves. By acknowledging that He came and He died for our sins and we need a Savior, we are giving ourselves to Him. We're giving Him an opportunity to do something deep within us, to bring change to us, and to transform our lives so that His presence and His power begin to live within us. His heads are bowed and eyes are closed. You're here this morning and you say, I want to give my heart to Jesus. I want to give my life to Him. Just slip that hand up. Hold it there for just a second. I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to give my heart to Him. I want to present Him with the greatest gift I can offer. and That's me. I want to believe on Him for salvation. So wait just a moment. Stand with me this morning, please. The altar is open today if you're here this morning and you need to offer forgiveness or you need to give love or you need to reach out to someone. I want you to just step out and come and begin to ask God to give you strength and power as we sing it one more time. This is amazing grace. Would you sing that out with me this morning? And if you need God to help you during this Advent season, come and we're going to pray with you and pray for you. Our prayer is that God will take this word and plant good eternal seeds deep into your soul. Father, we pray for your great wisdom to infiltrate this listener, draw them to you, and take them gently down the road to their next destination in life. And if you're in need of a home church, we invite you to join us at Christian Heritage Church on Shera Road in Tallahassee, Florida. A multicultural church founded on the truth of God's Word and the power of the Holy Spirit. For a worship service where the presence of God has first place, you're invited to Christian Heritage Church. Sunday morning service is at 10.30, Wednesday evening at 7, plus youth group and kid power and small groups and more. For all the latest information, visit our website, chctoday.com.